Dave, I got to tell you, I uh, I got a 50-pound package in the mail yesterday, and I want to thank you, quite honestly, for uh, what was a, a beautiful book that uh, uh, I found inside. Uh, thank oh, you very yes. much. You can see it right back here. You sent me the uh, complete collection of Crazy Cat Sunday comics. And uh, first of all, thank you for your thoughtfulness. But it's it's an absolutely gorgeous book. I've been pouring through it. Well, uh, that's kind of the reason why I got it for you. Not that you're some crazy fan of Crazy Cat. Not yeah. pardon the double use of crazy. Uh, not that you're some huge fan of Crazy Cat. I mean, you love comic strips and the history of comic strips in general. But um, Tashin had this book sale and their 5,000 pound Crazy Cat book. Because this book, for people not, obviously this is not a visual art. So yeah. podcasting, I'll explain it to you. It's like a 40 inch by 24 inch by 700 pound book of Crazy Cat <laughs> comics. Right? Am I not wrong? Like you didn't no. you get the truck backing up? It's like beep, yeah. beep, beep, here's your book, sir. This is the first book I've ever gotten that comes with its own handle. You need a handle yes, to carry this book yes. from room to and room. Do you think Brad's joking? Like, because this book is so gigantic, yeah. Tashin has to ship it in, I forget what they call that specific kind of cardboard, like E-class cardboard. The cardboard that's like almost as thick as wood. Yeah. And then it had a freaking handle on yes. it. So like, I was afraid to open the box because I was like, this is too nice. Even the box is too nice. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was, I was opening it. And uh, you remember when you were a kid and your grandmother used to get a Christmas gift and she would, she would refused to rip the paper because the paper was too pretty and you could yes, always yes. reuse it. So she would yes. she would carefully peel the tape off and you'd be like, Grandma, come on, just open your present. That was me opening, because I, it was such a special thing. I didn't want to, you know, damage the cardboard. I'm yes. pulling these tabs out like I'm like I'm a, a, an Egyptologist that just found a mummy uh, that's been unearthed, right. you know. Every layer is precious, yeah. Yeah, and I'm just, I, I'm like, I'm like, I've got butter knives out there. I'm lifting things just right. It was, because it, it was too nice to just, just do what I would have done with anything else would it just rip into it. Yeah. And so for those of you that don't know Tashin as a publisher, uh, they occasionally dip a toe into comic books. Like they yeah. did the DC comics like uh, 50 year or Silver Age. They, they did a gigantic um, and it won an Eisner. But occasionally they do like I have a crazy cat collection. I have um, uh, um, uh, I think a gasoline alley collection from them. I have a couple of a couple different and they're all gigantic. So I got Brad this book because it was on sale. I'm just going to be honest yeah. about it. It was on, I didn't pay 200 bucks. It was 50 bucks for this book. But it was so, like, don't think your friend spent 200 on you. But Tashin makes these gorgeous, gigantic books that, honest to God, Brad, as someone who does self-publishing, yeah. I'm not sure that they make a profit on their books. Oh. They are such beautiful objects of art that I genuinely, I mean, I know Tashin is like a hundred millionaire and he's, he's like just a lover of books and likes to produce art books. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that he makes any money on these. I think he loses his shirt quite literally on these books. I've got to wonder about that because number one, they're, they're, it's a super high uh, unit cost. Number two, yes. it's it's one of those things like how many people want the complete uh, Sunday comics of Crazy Cat? It's it's people like you and me, people who have a passion for comics, but general populace, I'm not quite so sure on that. 
And all of his books are like that. It's like a niche of a niche. It's like, yeah. do you love German modernism architecture from the specific years of May 1952 to June 1952? Well, Tashin has the book for you. Yeah. And it's like all these hyper-specific art books that literally cost them probably 30 bucks a unit, which if you know unit costs for books yeah. are like really expensive. Yeah. And, and then he has to ship them in these incredibly expensive packages. The replacement costs for books that get damaged in shipping are probably also ridiculous in terms of their overall budget. Oh, yes. I, I, I do not know how he keeps this business afloat other than the fact that he's like, yeah, I lose 10 million a year yeah. on my publishing company. Who cares? He writes off the loss and moves yeah. on, you know? But you know what? Instead of buying a yacht, how fun yes. to have a publishing company that just makes beautiful art books. That puts wonderful things out into the world you know yeah. that's so that's, like i'm not i'm not in any way judging yeah. him like go on go ahead lose your money but it's, it's certainly better than buying a seventh house or buying a boat yeah uh but if you haven't checked out tashin uh there's a few stores there's one in new york there's one in la i think there's one in what there's one or two in i think germany and london yeah uh, you got to go to a Tashin store at some point in your life because the books are with Donkey Kong. They are gigantic. <laughs> they are huge. What are you laughing at? What? Re Donkey Kong made me, made oh, me laugh. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, they're crazy. And uh, anyway, so I'm so glad you liked it. Not, again, not because you're some huge Crazy Cat fan, but just because like it's a cool book to have in your studio. Yeah. This 700-pound book of comic strips. And it's really neat. And thank you for clarifying that you would never do a book like this because we've already uh, discovered that your idea of a 25th uh, anniversary special is about <laughs> six pages, uh, two of which are, are blank. So thanks for thanks for keeping us on the straight and narrow with that one, uh, letting us know you would not do a Yeah, so a if book I get like a that. phone call from Tash and I think, I think he's German, he's going to be like, yeah, hello, David, I want to do a book with you. And I'm like, oh, Tash, that's great. I'd love to do a book. Uh, maximum five pages. What's your talking about no we need gold foil embossing we need uh you know Im double imprint and it's like oh geez you, you can uh, have gold foil emb embossing on the backs of the pages not on the front where the art is yeah you can have it near the book i don't want it on the book Just <laughs> actually actually as far as i'll go you can have my book uh, on the shelf next to a book with golden foil embossing <laughs> and on that note i'm gonna say hello everybody and welcome to comic lab the show about humbly making comics and humbly making a living from comics i I'm Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. And I'm his pal Dave Kellett, the cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of the comics documentary Strip. And this week's hour of comics advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave, let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. I am super excited for the show. Legitimately super excited because most of the questions are art related. Yeah. We try to mix in, you know, business, art, philosophy, or cartooning into different shows. Yeah. This show is mainly art directed and I'm really excited about it. But before we jump in, I just got to give a reminder that this show is going out live right now to our super pals and backers over at patreon.com slash comic lab at the live gab level. Yes. You too can watch the show streaming live every week. Right now they're watching it live. Yes. And then of course it's recorded in the archive. So in case they miss it, in case their Tashin books arrive and it fell <laughs> and on them and they can't get up out. without help. <laughs> yeah, they, they can't get up without help. Uh, they, they're, they're waiting for the kids to come home from school to help daddy out from underneath the book, which happened to me once. Uh, uh, but anyway, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so you can join us at the live gab level over at patreon.com slash comic lab and it's a legit fun thing to have you and bradley so let's get started let's dive right into the show my friend absolutely before we get too much further we have to thank our sponsors uh the nice people at wacom at wacom.com and dave uh, I got something really great to share you know how we always kind of open up the show talking about how we like wacom well this 
uh, came in from a listener, and I could not wait to share it with you. Uh, listen to this. This comes in from listener George Mackay, who says, A neighbor of mine asked me last year about drawing tablets for their daughter, and I immediately recommended the Wacom One. I don't even own one or have never seen one. I own a Cintiq, uh, however. But based on your glowing and joyous reviews, I knew it was a safe <laughs> bet. My neighbor came back to me just the other day to tell me she absolutely adores the Wacom One. And the daughter is constantly, constantly, constantly creating. So... Thank you guys for that. So this is this is a testimonial from a Comic Lab listener about the Wacom One. You know what's really heartwarming to hear? Hey, that's great to hear that that uh, that our word is our bond on this one because yeah. we we actively use it and love it ourselves. But I also recommended this to someone who uh, their little one wanted to start drawing. Yeah. By little one, I mean they were eighteen. Why am I saying little one? <laughs> <laughs> that makes it sound weird. They weren't four. Uh, their their teenager wanted to start drawing digitally, and they said, "What do you recommend?" Yeah. And I said, "You know, honestly, the Wacom one, the price point on that, especially because at the time around Christmas it was on sale, yeah. uh, it was amazing to jump in on, and it's worked out great for this majority." I'm so happy that uh, that that recommendation worked out for you in your life. And uh, just a reminder to our friends, uh, you can check out Wacom over at WACOM.com at the Wacom One uh, headquarters. Yes. <laughs> so let's jump right into it. Uh, our opening question comes in uh, about some advice we have given in the past about flipping an image, either in the mirror or if it's digital, just literally flipping it to find the okay. flaws. And here's somebody who's struggling with it. They say, this might be a bit of a novice question, but how do you correct a sketch once you flipped it? I draw a cool looking character in a pose that I like, and I flip it to see that it looks off and a bit wonky. So I make some uh. changes, but any changes I make once I flip it back, make the original sketch to look off as well, ruining what I thought <laughs> was pretty cool in the first place. It's bloody frustrating. <laughs> any tips? Yeah. Yeah. The tips are step one, find bridge. <laughs> step two, throw self off bridge. Yeah. Um, no, I say that because this is something that's universal. We have all had this where you're like, it's a sketch you're feeling pretty good with. And then you in Photoshop or in, in clip studio, or even with a mirror, like Brad said, you flip it and you're like, I want to see what it looks like from the other direction. <laughs> Like the old stand and true, stand and true, the tried and true method of, of flipping a drawing. You flip it, and suddenly it looks like you drew the whole thing with your the wrong hand. All of a You're sudden, like, you hear that that sound effect. Yeah, you hear an eye up here and a nose on the back of the head, and it's like, what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it does sound like the bad music on on uh, Wheel of Fortune or on uh, Price is Right. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, uh, this is a universal. We all have this. Um, and part of this comes really the only solution is time and practice. Yeah. With a specific drawing, you flipped it, you fixed it, you flip it back. You, you realize that the fixes have somehow made it worse, uh, which is so frustrating. Mm -hmm. Um, and when that starts to happen, that's usually a signal that you don't yet, uh, you haven't yet internalized the, the physics of that character mm -hmm. in a way that makes it natural in both directions. And so give yourself a little credit that time and tide will fix that, uh, the more you draw them. Um, but usually what I do, Brad, is I just commit to whatever the first sketch was because it's usually my stronger side yep. in terms of, you know, the angle that I chose, uh, and so, uh, I don't, 
allow myself to fall into the pit of fixing the fix to fix the fix to fix the fix to fix the fix because then I just end up watering down whatever stronger point that I made. If I like the original drawing and then flipping it, it makes me upset. (laughs) I don't don't go down the rat hole of fixing the fix to fix the fix. How about you? Uh, Well, this is a question that just came up. So I want to make sure that we're talking about the same thing. So I'm I'm doing an illustration. I flip it. I see that it's all wrong. Do you make the fix on the flip or do you flip it back to make the fix? I, I go back to what I, I, I control Z my way back to, to or control really? Z my way back so to. So this might uh, be to, where we're, uh, so I make the fix on the flip. This is starting to sound like a Seinfeld. By the way, this sounds like a weird Seinfeld yeah, sketch. Is- What's with the flip? <laughs> I fixed the flip. You've uh, got to make the fix on the flip, George. Who are these people? <laughs> and what is the deal with airline food? Uh, By the way, this is this is two of I think we can all agree two of the best Jerry Seinfeld impersonations you've ever heard. This is mwah, spot on. Not a note need be given. We know we know already these are note perfect Jerry Seinfelds that we're doing. Nailed it. No, but I make the fix while I've still got it flipped, and then I flip it. I back. make the fix while I still got it flipped. Okay. So yes. in other words, okay, I've got the the original. Now I flipped it. Now I'm. We'll call that the mirror version. I make okay, the mirror, fix yes. while I'm in mirror mode and then flip it back. Okay, but now how does that not become a recursive nightmare of fixing the fix to fix the fix to fix the fix? I, I don't know. I, like, <laughs> listen, part of the part of the solution is I've got a very short attention span. So once I've flipped a couple of <laughs> times, I'm like, that must be good. It's time to move on. I'm- Brad is like his crows. He keeps a tiny ball of aluminum off to the side of his desk so that if he's flipping too much, he looks over, he goes, oh, shiny object. And then he's just distracted for a minute. Either, and then it's back either to drawing. that or I do. I let, so I would I would say no matter which of those you're doing, if you feel mm-hmm. like you, you keep having problems, do the opposite. Like if you're not fixing the flip, then try fixing the flip. And oh vice God. versa. We sound, we sound bonkers bananas right now. If you're not fixing the flip, flip the fix. And then flip the fix to fix the flip. Well, then my second advice is going to be, is going to delight you because it's very, very straightforward. <laughs> Time for a silhouette. <laughs> go back, go back to Wally Woods, 22 panels that always work and choose one. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is a time for Wally Wood. All right, we're going to a newspaper headline. Cartoonist gives up. Um, yeah. So for those of you that don't know, Wally Wood put out, uh, you know, all these panels that you can go to in, but both to liven up a boring story, but also in a situation like this where you try and try to draw a damn thing. Yeah. And you're like, oh, to hell with it. I'm going to use a different Wally Wood yeah. panel that works. Yeah. And you're like, all right, a long shot that has a silhouette and a sun setting. That's what I'm doing. Did you see on Twitter just recently, somebody did the 22 panels uh, that Wally Wood uh, says always works. Did them on cookies? Wait, what? They did the 22 panels on cookies with white frosting and then like a dark, maybe a chocolate frosting for the line art, recreated the 12 panels that always works on cookies. They've now become 22 cookies that I want to eat. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so okay so brad is presenting a third option which is if you get really frustrated by trying to fit, fix the flip the third option is just to go eat cookies yes. and i think that's actually one of the strongest possibilities you can have here give up and go eat sugar do that's the best you one know to do. how many of my problems have been solved with cookies you don't even <laughs> want to know no i think i i think first of all if we're going to give a serious answer here number one understand that everybody struggles with this and sometimes yes. i'll I'll be, I'll give you a, a true third answer. Sometimes I just,
just start from scratch again. I'll just, yeah, I just, you know I'll save that layer uh, in case I need it later, start a whole new layer. Or if I'm working analog uh, with ink, I'll grab a whole new sheet of paper and I'll just start fresh. Cause sometimes you notice this Dave, uh, like if you erase a pencil sketch, it's still kind of there. And then when you yes. try to correct it, you it fall right into those same drawing. lines yep. again. Yep. Yep. So yep. I'll just grab a fresh sheet of paper and start new. Sometimes it's like, okay, I'm clearly not getting this. Uh, I'm going to do it. Yeah, because otherwise you become like uh, those Roman horse carts that have to follow yes. the path down yeah. the stone the stone road because all the wheels are, have dug a, a ditch. Boy, that was a weird historical Whoa. metaphor it, to bring out. Why did I do that? It, it was weird. One. It was fun yes, to watch Brad, you run just out of- like a Roman horse cart. That's, I think we can oh, all agree. Yes. Of course, I can't remember. I can't tell you how many times I've been in that situation. <laughs> is this, friends, is this you? Have you been at your drawing desk and thought to yourself, this is like a Roman horse cart? Oh, and why you just run out of breath at the end of the sentence, too. It could be like those Roman horse cars. Roman horse cars. Roman horse cars. Yeah, no, okay, so here's another solution. I think Brad is right, so uh, start a completely fresh sketch. Yes. I will say another possibility, which is put that sketch aside and then draw the mirror direction, same drawing, but now draw fresh the mirror direction, flip it back, see what you get. Oh, maybe. Sometimes that can at least inform what your natural uh, inclination direction would have mm. done or would not have done. So there's different possibilities to do here, uh, but don't feel like you're alone. No. Uh, this is a very universal thing, and, uh, and, and yeah. good luck with that, I think. Well, By the way, Brad, do you notice this ridiculous mason jar that I'm drinking huge. water out of? I refuse to drink out of a mason jar, by the way. This this look a thousand percent looks like I'm just drinking moonshine. It really that Paul does. Made down. It really does. Paul done made some moonshine down by the creek, and I got some moonshine yeah. for the show. I used to. This I, is how we supplement our income. I used to date a girl who made moonshine, but I loved her still. Uh, so now that we're. Uh, <laughs> Now that, we're done, now that we're done flipping out over that first question, Dave, do we have another question from a Patreon backer? We absolutely do, Brad. All right, so our next question comes in from Chris over at patreon.com slash comic lab. I could almost pronounce comic lab. Uh, I became very Midwesterner. Comic lab. In, uh, Chris writes, in today's online market, all things being equal and the strip is good, do you feel a comic should be more generic to reach a wider audience and provide more material and freedom to write whatever comes to mind? or more specific in subject to target a specific demographic, but which limits the possibilities. And if you went the second route, would a seasonal strip work better? Meaning do a month's worth of strips, then take a break and then return for another season. Brad, this is a great question. Yeah. And it's very specific to what we do, mm -hmm. which is great. So Brad, do you go generic? Do you go specific? Uh, do you go broad? Do you go small? How do you, how do you, how do you square up Chris's question on this one? I go niche all the way and I'll tell you why. Uh, back in the day, back in the early days of web comics, uh, the answer was just the opposite. And and by the way, Dave and I both did this, right? Try to go as general as possible because the idea was to cast a wide net, build a wide and broad audience so that you could serve a lot of ads. And the more ads you served, the more money you made. These days, right. uh, comics are monetized exactly the opposite, and interest is expressed uh, exactly the opposite. I'm going to tell you what both those things mean. Number one, monetization. Uh, what You've got two ways of monetizing a strip. With the broad audience, you can do a support-based uh, Patreon and, and then play the numbers game. If you've got 100,000 readers, then you can count on maybe a half a percent or 1% of them to throw you a couple bucks on Patreon. And you can, if your readership is large enough, you can do well. 
But mm-hmm. mostly, uh, I'm going to argue that uh, comics are funded through people who are passionate about what you're doing. And that's yes. maybe not going to come as a result of a general broad comic. It's going to be a comic that speaks to that person's passion or something that is underserved in the marketplace. This is the only place I can find this comic or this kind of storytelling. And people are going to be more likely to become a Patreon backer when you're doing something that they are passionate about. And that's going to come through a niche comic. Uh, you know, I, I totally agree with you. I, uh, passion is everything online, um, because if if the Internet were like a cigar chomping movie mogul. Yeah. They're not looking at you going, what do you got for me that's bland? What do you got for me? What do you got for me that appeals to everybody but kind of nobody? You yeah. know, like, I want 80-year-old women and five-year-old boys to love the same comic strip. You yeah. got something like that for me? It's got to be about people on desert islands and golf jokes. Yeah. Can you do that? You're like, uh, Well, truly, if those kind of things were were, were marketable in today's internet, uh, newspaper comics would have made a very a graceful transmission over into, uh, into doing Doing, uh, what we do on the web, but you don't see right. a whole lot of newspaper comics thriving on the web is because of this very thing that we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, look at if we look at the market that comic strips arose from, they yeah. arose in what was attempting to be a mass market newspapers where they did get read by 80 year olds and five year olds. Yes. And so they wanted something that a offended nobody and B was at least pleasantly a, a delightful pastime for both. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the highest ideal of that was probably peanuts or Calvin yeah. and Hobbes, right? Yeah. Enough joy, enough. Uh, and, and it wasn't an accident that both, uh, uh, you know, both spectrums of, or all spectrums of comic strips ended up defaulting to kid comic strips and animal comic strips mm-hmm. because both 80 year olds and five year olds still love animals and kids. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. there, there, it was much rarer thing to have a comic strip like pickles, which was more specific to older people. Um, and so, uh, what I'm getting at is, uh, the, the business model in the internet is not specifically a mass market. It is a largely appealing to niches. It's largely mm-hmm. appealing to passions, whatever the passions are. I mean, just look at how something like uh, Reddit is set up. It's all yes. subreddits of different passions. Yes. And yes, things trickle up to the to the to the top. But all those passions are what people go for. They go for I want the specific subreddit on woodworking in 18th century Germany. You know, and you're like, all right, well, here's a subreddit for that. You know, that kind of thing. Yes. And so uh, the the reason why. Uh, Hark a Vagrant worked is because historians loved it. The reason why SNBC uh, works is because STEM people love it. You know, all, all those all those comics appeal to a passion. And so I, I could list a whole bunch of web comics that appeal to a specific passion, but you take the point, I think. Oh, absolutely. And also that comes right into that second thing that I wanted to talk about a, a moment ago. And that is not only monetization, but audience building. That's another place where niche uh, uh, power is going to get you through. In other words, we talk all the time about social media. What's your share thought? What's the reason somebody would share this post? Well, if you've right. got a generic uh, comic that's, a, that, again, like Dave said, is is it's going to be very acceptable to a wide group of people, but is, a, a, as a natural outcropping of that, somewhat bland, or just has, has a, a, a topic that is not very... Uh, appealing uh, at all, it's not going to get shared, right? Whereas a niche, what am I going to share? Something that speaks to my niche. uh, let's, let's, Let's go right to the heart of it. 
I'm going to share something that when I share it, nobody else has seen anything like that because it's in my passion, right? I'm going to share that one thing that's like, oh my God, I can't believe I found this. I'm going to share it. Am I going to share a golf joke that I've seen a hundred different iterations right, of? Right. Maybe not. Am I going to show share that one thing about superheroes that's a great take on, on what's going on uh, because it speaks to my passion for that? Yeah, that I'm going to share. <laughs> so I, I want to call a tenderfoot timeout yeah. real quick because I have to change topics. There is a word in the English language that I have never pronounced right. And I've heard now you mispronounce it three times too. <gasps> and that word is niche. I say niche. I say niche. I say niche. I, you have done all three too. <laughs> what the hell is the right pronunciation of this I've, word? I've actually looked it up and niche and niche are both acceptable pronunciations. They're both acceptable. Yes. Now is niche acceptable only because... Americans bastardized it. And so eventually Webster's is like, fuck it. Niche yep. is fine. Uh, yeah, well, you know, if you, if you made ain't a word, the niche is fine. We don't, geez, we're trying to regulate the English language. You dumb idiots are fine. We'll use niche. Now you just described 60% of English language entomology is, <laughs> <laughs> is, is grammarians throwing their hands up and saying, that's it. We give in, do it your way. You know how uh, Webster's always makes a big show of the uh, press release every year of like, here's 40 new words. We're adding to the dictionary. I, every year that they have that list, yeah. I see their head uh, dictionaryist or whatever they call them, head head linguist. You can you can feel it going. Yes. Fuck it, really, sussy baka. That's now an English phrase. Damn it, I'm not including that in the English language. Yeah. Ah. Why well, have to include sussy baka now? You yeah. idiots, you illiterate idiots. I have read every work of Shakespeare. I can quote Coriolanus. Why are you making me put sussy baka into the dictionary? I hate you people. I hate you. Yeah, but there it is. Yeah, you can you can sense the frustration. They're just like, that's it. Yeah. We give up. It's it's like our first uh, listener who's uh, flipped that illustration 10 times. They're just like, that's it. It's silhouette time. It, it, this is the English <laughs> language equivalent of that. Yeah, the exact opposite is the French with the Academy Francais that's like, no, no, you are not calling it Le Web. No, you are not. Whereas English, the dictionary folks in English are like, fuck it, I guess we're, we're using this word. Ain't is now a word. You idiots, we tried to fight it for 150 years, but now we're including ain't in the dictionary. Oh, I hate you people. You could just feel the frustration yes. from English dictionary people. Okay, so both niche and niche are legit then. Okay, because for years I thought I pronounced it niche and then someone goes, no, 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 David, it's pronounced niche. And I was like, ah, shit, it's one of those words. Yeah. <laughs> no, not only not only is niche and niche acceptable in pronunciation, I think they're acceptable in publication. I think if you've got a question between the two, I'm going to encourage you to go to niche. Now, we've got a second part of that question. <laughs> what, what, what? Good transition. Uh, yeah, you're just I'm the king sometimes. of transitions over you're here. You're like a drive-time DJ yeah. increasingly. You're just like, all right, Dave's driving us <laughs> off the trails. I'm going to get us, get us back on the road. Uh, I, well, I've got a note here. As soon as Dave starts doing French accents, time to move the show along. <laughs> well, Dave's on another anti-French tirade. Here we go. Yeah. So I do want to talk about this because it's a great question, and I'm not sure I know the answer. Answer. Uh, if you were to go to second route, actually, I'm going to say anything. If you're going to go any route, would a seasonal strip work better? Meaning a month's worth of strips, then take a break and then return for another season. Let's talk about seasonal strips, Dave. It's way outside our wheelhouse, uh, but let's talk about it anyway. That's never stopped us <laughs> before. Let's talk about seasonal strips. 
That's never stopped us before. I like that attitude. Like, listen, I don't know anything about 401k investing. Doesn't mean I'm not going to talk about it. Here we go, gang. Here's Brad and Dave's 401k (laughs) tips for you this week. Get your checkbooks. (laughs) <laughs> so uh as far as seasonality this uh, i have to say i think carl kershaw and scott kurt started this a few years ago where they intentionally said now i'm in season two like i think with table titan scott did this right or, or where he said now i'm in season one season two season three and the idea was sort of pick up on tv seasons but i think this question from chris is more talking about seasonality like times of the year or moods of the year is that how i'm reading and this specifically right? with gaps between publishing like he'll do a month of strips and then there are a month no strips and then maybe another month of strips or maybe you know you could you could break it up any way you want maybe three months of strips and then three months of no strips right right so you're you're publishing and then you're taking a break from publishing and then it's the next season what do you think about that concept i mean is the idea here that you can't miss me if i never go away so why don't i go away for a little bit and then you'd be like no i sure did i sure did love brad geiger i wish he'd come back kind of is that the idea well here's the thing i there's part of me that really likes the idea about a seasonal comic where you say okay i'm gonna take some time and polish this thing up and when I release it, I'm going to release it in one, maybe even like uh, the way streaming services do release it in a binge. So you could read the whole thing right now, but then there's right. going to be no more Brad Geiger for another three weeks or another three months. Uh, and at my pace, maybe another three years until it's time for the next release. My big concern with that is how do you keep your audience in the interim? Right. How do you keep those right. Those right. people interested and you can only do so much with sketches and stuff. I do see, I do see some people uh, and, and they're mostly people who have uh, print like uh, uh, corporate print uh, projects that they're doing Marvel DC, stuff like that. Uh, I, I see them you know, doing this sort of thing. I don't know how successful they are because I, I don't have access to those numbers. Uh, but my fear as a creator would be, uh, I, you'd have to really pour some creativity into audience building and audience keeping yeah. Yeah, while yeah. you're off season. Yeah. I mean, and this is where we circle back to Chris's earlier question. We talk about passion again, yeah. because seasonality only works if someone cares enough to come back yeah. or seek you out yeah. or sign up for the email reminder yep. or check in, even when it's just sketches. Uh, if you're, if you're generalized and bland, they're like, eh, it's, it's one of a dozen. I can skip it and who cares. Right. Yeah. But like, uh, I can only speak for myself here in terms of something that's unintentionally seasonal saga, uh, the science fiction comic, right. From, uh, from image. Uh, that's been, I don't know, a year, year and a half, two years. I don't even know at this point, uh, how long it's been on sort of a hiatus. Mm -hmm. I will jump back in as soon as they're back with it because I'm passionate about it. It's a great story. The art is beautiful. I want to jump back in. But if someone's like, Dave, high and Lois is on hiatus. It's not like I'm like, (laughs) oh, got to wait for, oh, when are they coming back? When is high and Lois coming back? I miss it. What am I going to find out how thirsty did at the golf club? Thirsty. thirsty oh my god that was chef's kiss perfect yeah. i you knew the most obscure character from high and low is oh my god <laughs> this is like you with what was that one hokey wolf hokey holy wolf. shit sometimes your knowledge of obscure <laughs> comics characters far outstrips mine and i'm so impressed i just have to bow down at that anyway so um what i'm getting at is uh passion is if you're going to do seasonality 
it damn well have better uh, generated passion or else people aren't going to check back in. Yeah. They're not going to keep track if you ever come back, yeah. you know? And so, yes, seasonality can work. I've seen it done mm -hmm. uh, both in terms of seasons of the year and seasons like a TV season for comics. Um, and I, we've also just seen general hiatus. Doonesbury took a hiatus. Calvin yeah. Hobbes took a hiatus, right? Um, uh, like I said before, Saga is taking a hiatus. Uh, and, and if people care about it, they'll come back, but there's gotta be the passion. Go ahead, Brad. Uh, I'm gonna, I, I, I'm gonna put a, I'm gonna take my own tenderfoot time out here. You cannot okay. bring in Doonesbury and Calvin because they had a built-in audience. A captured audience. Yeah, it's, it's it's like they, they could come yeah. back because they, they knew the audience was gonna be there. The audience right. had to be there. It was their newspaper, right? I so, immediately yeah, defer to you yeah. on that. You are correct. That, no. is a, that, that was a very different business model yes. that already had captured the audience broadly via newspaper. Yeah. They were still subscribing. Yes, yeah. of course. Agreed. But okay, I would, I would say, I'd, I, number one, uh, I'm sure if I widen my purview, I'd find people doing this. Uh, just because I can't name them off the top of my head doesn't mean that they don't right. exist. I'm not like that person that says, well, you know, it's impossible to succeed at comics because unless you started 15 years ago. And they're like, you, you, you tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, what about Web2? You know, I don't want to yeah, be that yeah. person. Well, you know, it's funny. You should mention Webtoons because yeah. Webtoons actually has more of a feeling yeah. of seasonality yeah. and chapter breaks that traditional webcomics did not have. So, yeah, that's a great point that Webtoons actually has. Yeah. It. And what I would say was, I, I I think you could do that. I think you can do that. I think you'd want to definitely set up your own website as a hub so you'd have a central place for all those things to be so that, for example, you could you could play the long game on this. And as you're building up things, you bring somebody in for this vampire story that you did while they're at the hub. They describe they discover this fairy mm -hmm. tale you did about mermaids. And then, you know what I mean? You can keep playing yeah. that knock on effect where you just build your own library. That's all housed there. It, it would be a long uh, it would, you'd, you'd be playing the long game, but it, it could be done. Uh, and then every time, you know, you're going to you're going to build a little bit more steam and and you can use things like they've intimated the email newsletter, the the mailing list, your social media to to let those people know when the next thing comes out. I think it's possible. I think it's it's absolutely possible. I think you've got to think through your publishing very carefully, though. Yeah. And I Brad's final words there are the ones that really ring true for me, because, of course, your your creative needs are going to play a part in this. Do you have to write seasonal at season? <laughs> Seasonally, yes, uh, season I agree. Had to, I had a, a, a little bit of a drink before we started the show. Anyway, uh, seasonality. Are you writing seasonality because creatively you need that? It's the only way that you can work. Okay, well, great. That's one consideration. But then the business consideration is a totally different thing, which is most of what we do these days is doing um, crowdfunded patronage yeah. or crowdfunded Kickstarter, mm -hmm. or in general, just book publishing and tchotchke publishing, right? And all of those require a passion that will come around when you need it. Yeah. And so that's why I think Brad is very rightly concerned that your seasonality might uh, kick you in the teeth when it comes time to kickstart a book or ask for recurring patronage or this or that, because uh, those business models don't necessarily uh, go marry well with a comic that's like, we're taking off six months, we're taking off a month, whatever it is. Uh, you know, uh, some people, rightly so, uh, might discontinue their patronage for those six months. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, rightly so. It's it's their money. They can say, you're not making anything. I'm not paying no for anything. No monthly reward, no monthly pledge. Right, right. So anyway, is it possible? Yes. Have we seen it done uh, occasionally? Mm -hmm. um, uh, is, it a, is it ultimately a smart business model? I don't think so. I think you want to you build 
even though you and Brad and I would not argue for the seven day a week business model that we used to have, yeah. which is a new comic every day, yeah. we would still argue that you got to be on people's radar somewhat yeah. on a recurring basis. Yeah, I think I think it's very easily to be I think it's very easy to be forgotten in this day and age when there's so much content coming down the pike. Yep. Yep. Absolutely true. And that's why passion is so important. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. Dave, it's time for a couple of updates, and one of them has to do with predictions we made in a recent show. As you remember, I predicted that Patreon was going to launch a competitor to Kickstarter in the first quarter of 2002, yes. and that has not happened yet, but... <laughs> <laughs> and my prediction has fallen on its face. But we have had our first competitor. I was I was in the right church, wrong pew, as they say in the Midwest, uh, Tapatico. Uh, has launched the first Kickstarter competitor of 2022. As you know, Topatico is a company with deep webcomics roots. Uh, web cartoonist Jeffrey Rowland uh, formed the company way back in, I think, 2004, when he was uh, mm-hmm. selling shirts and stickers and other merchandise lib- linked to his webcomic, later expanded it. In 2013, they launched Make That Thing. Do you remember that? That was a fulfillment yes. service for independent creators. So you've got a company that is already uh, very, very good at uh, not only crowdfunding, but merchandise fulfilling and handling all of those purchasing things online. They've already got all the bones they need to bring out a a Kickstarter competitor. And they did just last week. Uh, they announced Topatago, a crowdfunding counterpart that's going to use everything that they've got at their, uh, at their beck and call as a company. And uh, their first uh, crowdfunding campaign is, is a plush of the Topatico, uh, 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 what do you call those? Oh, I'm, I'm blanking on the word. This is amazing. I'm going to let it happen. It's mascot. You, mascot. Mascot is the word you're looking yes. for. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to have a mascot plushie. So all of which to say for our first update uh, of two today that uh, we've got our first Kickstarter competitor and it's coming from webcomics. And not to not to talk too much about it because uh, it, not much is yet uh, able to be said because it's very new. But one thing that I would keep an eye on with the Topatico versus Kickstarter um, in the future is Topatico, unlike Kickstarter, has the ability to do the storage and the fulfillment from their own facility. And so for a certain kind of city dwelling cartoonist in a condo or an apartment that can't take four pallets of books as delivery, this might be an interesting option going forward. I have not seen any of the evidence to that, but but I think with their own abilities to do fulfillment around the world, it would be interesting to see what Topatico is able to do when paired with a Kickstarter type business model. 
Absolutely. So that's going to be one to watch. And, uh, and you know, my spidey sense says that there are going to be others coming down the pike as well. But uh, but we've had our first one, and that's uh, that's exciting. Uh, update number two, David, did you know what today is? We're uh, recording this show on Tuesday, February 1st, and um, that means that it's a very special day. Did you know what that day is? Is this the day that I tell Brad he's a great guy? Because that's <laughs> what I thought today was. <laughs> no, that's every other day. <laughs> no, today is hourly comics day. And I remember oh. from oh. a little while ago, you <laughs> were talking. Awkward moment for me. I totally forgot. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike, I guess that should answer my next question. Are you going to be doing and participating <laughs> in hourly comics day? Ooh, don't mind me pulling on my collar as I go. Oh, I totally forgot about it. Uh, no, here's the truth is I forget about 24 hour comics day. I forget about hourly comics day i forget i i every year they come and go and i go oops oh yeah that exists because i uh and this is in the best possible way there's no insult intended i'm producing enough where i don't need one of those right now in my life in fact it is it's a distraction from things that i actively have to produce so i'm doing uh anatomy of dinosaurs i'm doing drive i've got podcasts i've got other stuff going on in my life i don't i don't need that are you doing it by is this you is this your way of asking me to ask you are you doing it so you can go well i do have some news (laughs) no i'm not so much uh gonna do hourly comics day i'm kind of in the same boat as you i've got lots of things to keep my my busy and it would probably be a bit of a distraction uh, but I will be following it like everybody else. I'll be checking in on the hashtag and seeing what everyone's doing because that can be a lot of fun. Yeah, I I, I think that's uh, that's the best way to look at it. And again, I Brad and I have a slightly differing opinions on whether they're worthwhile doing. I think if it gets you creating, yeah. that is the one singular and most important thing about Twenty Four Hour Comics Day, Hourly Comics Day, uh, Inktober, whatever whatever the competition quote unquote is for you. If it gets yeah. you creating and helps you stay creating then that's all the justification you need. Anyway, let's jump in on our next question, Bradley. This comes in from Jay Lark over at patreon.com slash comic lab. And I know everyone listening is a patron. <laughs> uh, Jay Lark writes, hey, Brad and Dave, let's talk about bonus panels. Many comics have a bonus panel that is detached from the rest of the comic. It usually contains an extra punchline, a callback, or something else extra for the reader. Some comics put on their bonus panel behind a paywall like Patreon, but I've also seen them in the artist's Instagram story, after the ads, in an image carousel, etc. The common theme, though, is that they usually serve as a reward for the reader doing something extra beyond simply reading the comic. What are your thoughts on bonus panels? and how to use them most effectively. Thanks so much for the path of the show, J-Lark. All right, so Brad, uh, J-Lark's question, uh, bonus panels. What do you got for us, my friend? What are your thoughts, first of all, about bonus panels? It's something that I don't think I would ever do personally. Like, okay. I don't know how I, I would fit that uh, into what I do. Uh, however, I do see it being done. Chris Halbeck uh, does bonus panels in his comic and, and uses them really, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't do them. However, I think that it's a really good idea and has a lot of uh, versatility that could be applied in a number of different ways. And if it's something that you're thinking about and you think you've got a great way to apply it, I would encourage you to do it because I think I think it could have a lot of usefulness. Uh, I, I So although you're never going to necessarily see me do it, I think it's something that if you're thinking about it, I, I think you should go ahead and give it a try. Yeah, I, I largely agree with you. I, I, for whatever reason, I have never done it myself, but um, I think it is a, f- as technologically speaking, it's one of the fun innovations that digital comics have allowed for 
that traditional print comics didn't really have a way to make that work. So you get everything from an extra button on a website that launches a bonus panel. On Instagram, it'll be something after the ads. Mm -hmm. On Webtoons, it'll be a, a far distant scroll from past the earlier, you know, panels, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and so you've seen different iterations of this, but all of it requires a little bit of digital uh, trickery to get you one yeah. extra panel. And yeah. it's it's kind of fun to see because when my when my wife writes sitcoms, one of the fun things about standing on the floor of the sitcom, Brad, is that you'll have all the writers there. And if a joke doesn't land with an audience, you see them immediately go huddle, 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 yeah. and then five more pitches and then they'll take five more cuts, right? Try, they'll try this joke out. They'll try that. And they're what's called alts in the yeah. sitcom business, right? They'll write alts really quickly. And some of them are already pre-prepared. And if joke A doesn't work, joke, joke B could work. And a little bit, that's what bonus panels feel like to me. It's mm -hmm. like, hey, if if the main joke didn't land for you, maybe I'll get you with the bonus panel. And yeah. and even if it did land for you, maybe this is a little extra cream in your coffee to, to get the bonus panel too, you know? And so I kind of like that technologically speaking. I think it's kind of fun. Yeah, I, I I mean you know, you're right you're right and uh, I can I can <laughs> there's a part of me I just got to be honest with you that there's a part of me that says listen which one is the punchline there there's either a good one or there's a not so good one and you you go with the good one and and then and then you don't after you figure out what the good one is you don't give your your audience the bad one afterwards it's 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 there's a part of me that has a little bit of problem with it, even though I know that I, I it, it, you brought up a really good point when we were talking before the show about political cartoons, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for those of you that know American political cartooning, there's two cartoonists specifically that actually do this in single panel political mm -hmm. cartoons, editorial cartoons, uh, Oliphant. Um, the Australian slash American cartoonist had a little character named Ollie Funt that was right. kind of penguinish looking. He had a big nose and he would in, be in the bottom right corner and make a commentary on whatever yeah. the commentary was of the strip. Right. Yeah. And then Tom Tolls, who I think retired, but wasn't he in I, Toledo or Ohio? Where was he? Uh, New York Times, I believe. Oh, New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> by, the time, by the time he ended up. Yeah. Sorry, Tom. Uh, yeah. But Tom Tolls also had a tiny little sketch of Tom at his yes. drawing desk that would also comment in the bottom right corner. And I think we can all agree that's a fun iteration on editorial cartoonists that you could have a comment on a comment, but it was different than how these bonus panels work. And that's well, and it, but it, but yet uh, thematically the same, because oh, yeah, exactly. Thematically because the same. Here's the thing. After I got done saying, ah, listen, just choose a punchline and, and, and which is, there's a good one. And there's not a, after saying that you're like, yeah, but that's kind of like political cartoons. And you just named two of my all time favorite political yeah. cartoonists. Tom Tolls could do no, he could, he could draw a page from the phone book and I would laugh at it. You know, it, it, he was, he was, I really think he was amazing. And I lived for what happened in that little corner yeah. of his comic. So it, it, but would I tell Tom Tolls to say, listen, choose a punchline buddy? Probably not, right. <laughs> you know? So I, so I do think that there, even though I, again, I kind of find myself drawing away from it. That doesn't mean that it's bad. I, I, I think you could find a number of creative ways to put that to good use uh, and, and do it well. Now, before we go too much further, we've got to draw a line between that and doing, uh, an exclusive comic, because there's a difference between doing yes. a bonus okay. panel yep. and doing an entire exclusive comic. 
or, or, you know, which is something you hear me say all the time. I want you to consider doing for Patreon an exclusive comic. That's a whole nother thing. That's an entire uh, chunk of storytelling. What we're talking about here is one panel that relates to a short, usually a short form uh, presentation, like a strip or something like that. Mm -hmm. They give you one extra panel. Uh, let's not confuse the two because the two are very, very different. They, because I could see somebody saying, well, wait a minute, Brad, you do Evil Link after dark. That's a bonus. Well, not so much. <laughs> what we're talking about is one sh short piece of storytelling that you put a little bump note at the end. Uh, and, and yeah, I, again, <laughs> I, I can never, ever see myself doing it, but I think it would. I think you could do it and make it perfectly great. And some of my all-time heroes did it all the time. Yeah, I, so okay, I have a couple more thoughts about bonus panels. One is, uh, if you're someone who loves iterating on jokes, like I love joke A and here's also joke B, yes. I think a bonus panel is for you. Yeah. Uh, if you're the kind of person that, uh, there's certain kind of jokes, Brad, where you can't get to joke B unless you've seen joke A. Right. It's kind of a stand-up comedian route of like, did you like that joke? Here's an iteration on that joke. Yeah. Um, and so I I get it when when people want to do a bonus panel of a joke because you couldn't have gotten to B unless you had already laughed at A, right? Yeah. So I, I get that. But one thing to consider is that I think bonus panels only work for comedy in this sense. If you're yeah. writing a dramatic story and you have a bonus panel on the dramatic story, well, you need to ask yourself, did that bonus panel, was that part of the story? Did it advance the drama? Did it, well, yeah. then it needs to be part of the story. You know what I mean? It's not a bonus then that, that people need to hunt down. It should be part of the story. And then you need to also ask yourself, how am I going to present this in a book? Which, by the way, is also a question for comedy. Uh, if it is part of the drama, if it is part of the buildup of plot or, or character or story, that needs to be in the book. Well, then how are you going to present that as a non-bonus, yeah. but definitely part of the story panel? Well, then just make it a panel of the, anyway, what I'm getting at is, I think this this idea, this idea of a bonus panel only works for comedy. Um, and then even then for print, you have to ask yourself, how am I going to present this uh, yeah. in a way that doesn't just feel like two uh punchline panels that are fighting against each other you know what i mean right yeah and, and this is uh, i would suggest uh, and by the way tell me if this is sounding familiar to you you've done the comic uh uh you you've done all the stuff that you'd colored it you edited it and so on and so forth it's a few days later and it's time for you to put it up on your website and you put it up and now if you're using a cms like most of us you've got to give it a title you've got to write something you've got to give it a a headline a title something and you're writing the title and all of a sudden, as you're coming up with something to say, you write something funnier than your punchline <laughs> or, or as funny as your yeah. punchline, yeah, right? Yeah. I, that happens sometimes. That happens. And by the way, if that happens, it means that maybe you need to do some more editing, you know, to keep, to build that into your creative process, but mm -hmm. be that as it may. Uh, and, and it happens to me all the time. Uh, if if that happens to you, maybe that's a good indication that you could try this and let that that uh, part of the creative process form your bonus panel. You know, in other words, not don't make the bonus panel right away. Wait a couple of days and then make it part of your process to come up with those, that bonus panel on a day later. In a way, it it dovetails nicely with my one more panel suggestion that I have for people who are struggling writing strips. Do one more panel. You're going to find the funnier thing there. Oh, I see. Yeah. In yeah, yeah. that respect, the idea is then to edit it back down to its original panel count, not to just tack stuff on. 
But you you could use that same mentality to come up with something uh, for that bonus panel. Uh, but then, like Dave says, you're right back to the beginning of, OK, which 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 punchline goes in the book? Which one is the punchline? Right. You right. Know? Right. And, but- but I, I arguing against myself here, yeah. I think, though, the idea that to Jay Lark's question that this is uh, sort of a reward for the dedicated reader, I actually think yeah. is true because yeah. you read the comics. If it's on Instagram, you go through a couple of ads or if it's a website and you hit that button, then you get this little moose bouche of couscous at the very end, you yes. know, and it's just like it's this nice little thing that's a treat for the dedicated reader or yeah. or something that's discovered. And that's kind of fun. But yes, again, to Brad's point, in print, what the hell do you do? How do you how do you make yeah. that feel special or unique or a reward like system without it becoming just like, and here's two joke panels, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's so so I, I guess here's the thing. I I, I see it being done all the time. <laughs> I see it being done and being done marvelously. Uh, and I think you could do it if you want to try it. Uh, I do want you to give a little bit of thought to some of those other things, like what's going to happen when when the book comes out and stuff like that, because I don't think there's going to be a one size fits all answer to it right. in the same way that there's not a one size fits all method of doing the bonus panel. It's going to it's going to come out of a natural outcropping of your creativity. I uh, My only final word of advice is to think through how this is going to uh, uh, affect your Comic in the final iteration, that print product, which is one of your big revenue streams, uh, think through how that's going to happen before you commit to it and, and find a creative solution for that too. Amen. All right, Brad, we'll move us on to the next question. This comes in from Melissa over at patreon.com slash comic lab. And Melissa writes, dear Brad and Dave, I'm having an artistic identity crisis. For years, I have worked most traditionally and am known for my particular coloring style. However, despite years of practice, my inking has never improved, and I'm always messing up my lines with my artist's hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> after, uh, after re- that sounds like my haircuts. After recently acquiring a tablet and learning CSP, I find that I can produce much cleaner ink lines digitally and at a much faster pace. Finally, my comic art looks like the level I want it to be. But I can't let go of the dream of making beautiful ink lines on paper like I see from other traditional inkers. Which way should I go? Make a better product faster that I'll be happier with in the long run or stick to my guns and have more fun with the creative process? Many thanks for all the advice, laughs, and great magnets, <laughs> Melissa. All right. Well, Brad, Melissa has a really great question that I don't think we've ever addressed before, which is that you love coloring in traditional mediums. And Melissa didn't mention it, but let's assume like watercolor or Conte yeah. crayon or crayon or something or, you know, uh, pencils, colored pencils, something fun and traditional. Uh, but Melissa was never happy with her line art in yeah. ink moves to digital with all the tools and perhaps smoothing or things like that, that she has in, in the digital realm, loves the line art is doing it faster um, and is happier with the final results. What do you recommend in the situation, Brad? Okay. For me, this is a no brainer. Oh, okay. It's, it, this is, I'm, I'm going to slam the door shut Brad's on this one. The answer is bonus panels. <laughs> Have you considered bonus panels? <laughs> yes. Yes. I've, I've come full circle. Everything <laughs> is bonus panels. Uh, no, this is, this is a simple one. You do the thing that gives you the better product at the end. You do the thing that gives you the better art because that's all your readers care about. They, they care about what is the best iteration of this comic. What's the best outcome, the best writing and the best art that's all they care about. Uh, and, and as a comics artist, you and trying to build an audience, that is very important to you. 
Uh, listen to a couple sentences here where I think you already know the answer to the question. Listen to this. I found that I can pr produce much cleaner ink lines digitally and at a much faster pace. Finally, my comic art looks like the level I want it to be. End of story. You know what the answer is. You got to move to digital. It's given you better products. It's given you better uh, everything. You've got to look at what you're doing and, 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 and realize that. Here's the last thing. Look at this. Do I make a better product faster? The answer to that question is and always shall be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I guess yes, that's exactly what you do. I, I, yeah, I suppose if I, let's transpose this to another industry. If Ford came to us and Brad, Brad they were like, I can build the F-150 faster, cheaper, and better if I use this kind of manufacturing. But we like building trucks the other way. You'd be like, what are you doing? Build the F-150 faster, cheaper, and better. Um, so yeah, I maybe what's the holdup here is Melissa's and all of ours shared mm -hmm. romanticism for the idea of traditional mediums. And yeah. there's nothing wrong. I say this as someone who draws one of my comics just with traditional medium, even though we color it digitally, um, is that there absolutely is that love for a physical thing that you can hold up at the end and say, I made this. This is a piece of art that I made. And yeah. there's a certain intangibility that digital stuff has that physical stuff doesn't have. Mm -hmm. And so absolutely, there's a romanticism, there's a joy, there's a there's a physicality to it that digital misses. But I think Brad is onto something here when, when he describes it as like, I can produce a better product, I can produce it faster, and my readers like it better. Um, well, then the one limitation then is your self-perception that you need to be working in watercolors or pencils or Conti crayons or whatever it was. Um, and so, well, Brad, how is there a way that Melissa might be able to meld the best of both worlds here? Well, she might be able to do her inking in uh, in a digital format and then print it out to do her uh, coloring. She could do that. Uh, and and the other thing that I'm going to suggest is just because you've started to do your uh, comic uh, uh in a digital format doesn't mean that you can't take a couple hours every week and do some traditional inking with a brush, right? You can, yeah. you can still have that. You can still pursue that. You can still, uh, you can still develop that skill, uh, and, and do quite nicely at it yeah. over time. Uh, and then maybe, and then maybe you'd have the flexibility of shifting back and forth. Uh, so you don't have to, it, this doesn't mean giving up on inking. It just right. it just means that you're going to do the comic in the format that gives you the best possible product. And then maybe on the weekends you ink or for special projects, your inks or even, uh, you know, uh, you know me, I'm always sniffing around for for the for the exclusive. Uh, maybe this becomes a Patreon exclusive or a Kickstarter reward or any number of other things where you need something physical or would prefer something physical. Right. Now you've got a whole stack of them because you've been doing them outside of the production of your comics. So I don't think you have to necessarily make a choice between the two. I think you can still do them, uh, but I think you need to do whatever it takes to give you the best product uh, and, and faster is nicer too. Well, let me, let me speak a little bit to my own personal thing. And Brad, I'm, yeah. I'm curious to hear what you say about this because I have found doing Sheldon uh, traditional and doing drive digital mm -hmm. that my, uh, they inform one another in really? the sense that I think my digital art makes my 
traditional art better and my traditional art makes my digital art better do you do you, you know what i mean like over the course of a couple of years i'm like uh each one levels the other one up does that work for you have you gotten better traditional with no. by drawing <laughs> <laughs> no no that didn't happen with me i i i, I, but, but, I wanna... but to be fair though you've kind of stopped drawing traditional yes. right like but and, i'm saying and... if melissa keeps it up oh yeah if you kept doing it uh, yeah. and so here's another thing that i actually uh i will i will um I will pass along a little thing that you might want to try, Melissa, which is let's say you draw the line art perfectly digital. It's it's ready to go, but you don't color it yet. What you do is you get yourself a good printer, like one of those uh, nice Epsons or something like that. And you print it out on whatever traditional paper you used to use, but at like 5% opacity. Oh. Like you can barely see it, barely see that line art. But then you apply your traditional colors to that 5% opacity printout. And then digitally, you scan that, you merge them. So you have the best of digital on a layer above the best of your traditional art. I'm just saying that's a possibility you might want to explore. Uh, it's kind of like, Brad, the way, I don't know if I ever described it to you, how Watterson would do the the watercolors for his covers, which mm -hmm. just sounded like a descent into madness. He would do like 15 versions of trying to line up a separate line art to his watercolors, which is yeah. just... But anyway, Melissa, with digital... Uh, and with good printing, I think you could do a 5% opacity, 10% opacity, yeah. print it out, and then apply your traditional colors and then merge the two. What do you think, Brad? Oh, I think you could do that with a light box, too, quite frankly. Oh, and, yeah. And, yes, and I forgot about light boxes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brad, you mean that 100-year-old technology that works just fine? I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. There, there are those. Uh, but but I, I wonder, Dave, if you're uh, – because you shared some thoughts uh, with me uh, quite a while ago about what you what you called your 70% 70% rule and i'm wondering if that would apply to this situation yes so this is okay this is something i've been meaning to talk about which is um very often when illustrators get into comic strips they're very slow because yeah. they're used to illustrating at 100% of their skill level like Every every line is going to be perfect. Every brush stroke is going to be just note note perfect. And yeah. and here's the thing though: to produce comics, one of the things that is often required, but very often not spoken aloud, is you need to have speed. You need to get yes. it done faster. And so one of the reasons why Melissa, uh, this this idea that you can do it faster digitally is so important is because comics, you kind of want to be drawing your comics, and this is kind of unsaid for a reason at 70 to 80% of your ability. You're not always given 100%. You're getting out what needs to get the communication across in the best way possible, but not at your note perfect drawing. Like it's not, <laughs> if you're producing a Marvel book at that pace where you gotta crank them out, not every Batman is gonna be the most shining Batman you've ever drawn. Some of them are gonna be, maybe there's a Wallywood silhouette that comes in at every time <laughs> because you gotta get the story done. And so yeah. what I'm getting at is with this digital question, is uh, one of the reasons you might be faster is you might be allowing yourself to draw at 70 or 80% of your capacity, not 100% like you did traditionally, because mm -hmm. uh, it's it's that change of venue is allowing you that mental switch up. And I think that might be to your benefit, Melissa. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. Well, Dave, we've got one more question and a little bit of time here at the end of the show. And I want to hear what you've got to say about this one. This one comes in from our Patreon backer, octagon who says this i want to bring up the topic of page to page pacing more specifically how much is too much and how little is too little for context i uh, the way i make my comic draws inspiration from highly 
decompressed manga storytelling. Even though I release pages frequently, I'm often worried that each individual update might be insubstantial. I make sure each page moves the story forward, but I fear that in many cases, the progress may be too fractional. My peers have told me they can't stand reading my comic as it comes out and simply prefers to wait for the chapter to be done before binging it. I'm okay with this as I'm primarily pacing it for the archival reader anyway, but it does cause me to ponder the notion how much content should each page contain. I'm aware that my approach is absolutely not the norm for comics released for the web and that a more compressed approach is preferred by both readers and apparently by authors. So Dave, let's talk pacing. How fast is too fast? How slow is too slow? Well, I have a question for you, Brad, uh, yeah. before we answer Octagon's question, yeah. which is how do you understand the phrase decompressed manga storytelling? What does that mean to you? Because I don't, I'm not sure that I fully, I just want to make sure that we're on the same page with what decompressed, yeah. because Octagon's diction is amazing here, uh, but I, did, I didn't quite gather what decompressed storytelling manga style is. So decompressed storytelling is usually uh, like you take a minute and then you expand on that minute. It's almost like going into slow motion. So a minute might take three pages to go through. Uh, oh. When I hear decompressed manga story, uh, story, storytelling, what I think of is when my kids were younger, they used to watch Dragon Ball Z. And it would, <laughs> I would walk through the bedroom, or would, I'd walk through the living room doing like uh, uh, laundry or something. And at the beginning of the show, I'd be bringing laundry downstairs and there'd be these two characters floating over a, uh, a canyon because uh, <laughs> I think canyons were easy to draw. Yeah, and, a lot of sand, a lot of easy sand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they'd be like taunting each other and, and saying, well, I'm going to fight you and well, I'm going to fight you. You don't know about my power. My power is very powerful. You don't know about my power. It's very powerful. And and I'd be I'd do the, the laundry and then the drying and then the folding and I'd bring the clothes back upstairs and they'd still be taunting each other an hour <laughs> later. And I'm like, when are these two putzes going to actually you know, throw a punch. And, uh, you know, my kids will say, well, probably tomorrow. That's the next episode. I'm like, what, what takes, what is taking so long? Get to the point. Uh, Jojo's bizarre adventure, which is very popular and very, uh, very fun to watch also has very decompressed storyline where all of a sudden, uh, it, it like somebody's about to throw a punch and then the action will stop. It'll pull back and you'll see one character, the guy that's about to take it right in the skillet, uh, uh, do a monologue. This guy's throwing a punch. I can't believe he's throwing a punch at me. This punch is really going to hurt. I can't believe how badly I'm going to lose teeth. And, and it'll go on like that for like 10 minutes of storytelling. And then finally they jump back in and he punches them. <laughs> well, and you go, what's I, going on here? I can tell you what's going on here. It costs a hundred thousand yen to animate a fight scene. It costs 10,000 yen to animate just the mouth moving and a little bit of sand drifting across the yeah. Sell. So that's that's your difference right there. You can get a lot of show for not a lot of money. There's a yeah. reason why they reuse the He-Man intro every show. It's because it didn't cost any extra money. Uh, but yeah, okay. So now you've explained decompressed storytelling, yeah. which is that uh, expansion of a moment where nothing yeah. hugely consequential has happened to explore usually inner monologue. I think, we, so now we're on the same yeah. page about it. Okay, thank you about that. So yeah. it's a little bit like soap operas, right? In that yeah. nothing happens because 
really the point of a soap opera is not to have things happen. It's to relish the drama of the moment, even if that moment takes five months to tell, yeah. right? Yeah. Or or, okay. or newspaper comics like Apartment 3G or the oh, Spider-Man uh, newspaper comic where the format was uh, the first panel was a recap. The second panel was storytelling. And the third panel was uh, some uh, like a premonition for the next pan. Uh, next can I comic. tell you, can I tell you a little story about, so yeah. my hometown paper ran the Spider-Man comic strip, right? Yeah. He started a fight with the Sandman, Brad. <laughs> I went off to college in Indiana at Notre Dame. <laughs> Four years later, I come home and I start reading that hometown paper again. He's finishing up that fight with the Sandman. It took yeah. four years to fight the Sandman yeah. in the Spider-Man comic strip. Okay. Later so, that okay. same day. I So I, I guess what I, in asking that question, what's nice is I think I figured out a, an answer for Octagon here, which is yeah. one of the reasons why your friends or peers, I guess you were saying, mm -hmm. um, you said my peers have told me that they can't stand reading my comic as it comes out and simply prefer to wait for the chapter to be done before binging it. So that's telling me without having read the comic, there might not be much happening. That's why people are not tuning in, right? One uh, Another way to say decompressed storytelling, I would guess, is to say there ain't much going on here. There's not a lot of, not a lot of there there. And so, yes, you can tell a story that way. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is satisfying to read it in big chunks. But here's the problem in doing that with the way we tell stories. When wow. it comes time to ask for patronage, when it comes time to get, kickstart a book, when it comes time to sell a book, you have to have sold people all along the way yeah. to get them to go in big at the end, right? And if, you're, if your storytelling is such that it reads like this, all right, you're bored now, but eventually you're going to love it. You're not going to have built the audience that will be yeah. there for you when it comes time to kickstart. Am I wrong in thinking this, Brad? No, you're you're right. I'm going to I'm going to say the same thing. Your friends just told you they can't stand reading your comic as it comes out on the Web. Right. They and they they prefer to read it in a in a binge. Imagine if they weren't your friends, what they'd be saying. And that's that's oh, your readers. Yikes. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, your yeah. readers. Right. I can't stand this thing. It, it, it's so slow. You're saying you're building this thing for the archival reader. But if, if you do, if you didn't capture them somehow, if you didn't entice them, there's nobody reading those archives. You can build it for the archival reader. I don't know where that reader's coming from. Yeah, they do exist. But I think what Brad and I are saying is there's a risk you run that um if you never give the Costco sampler in a way that entices a Costco shopper, they're never going to buy those potato yeah. chips in yeah. bulk. You know, you got to you got to keep the samplers interesting in order to get them to make the big purchase at the end. The archival reader exists in general. They exist yes. in theory. Yes. They just don't exist as a part of your audience yet. You got to You got to get them there. Right. You got to get them in there. So here's the deal. Your 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 peers are giving you really good feedback. Uh, and, 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 and listen, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to change your mind. Uh, cause I keep seeing sentences like this. I'm aware that my approach is absolutely not the norm for comics released for the web. Uh, and, and a more compressed approach is, is, uh, is preferred. Yeah. Yeah. You know why? Because it works because <laughs> it's effective and we like doing things that work. I, I can't imagine I'm going to change your mind on this. So the only thing I'm going to tell you 
is that you can do this decompressed story. You can do all of that. What you can't do is be surprised when you've got, when your Kickstarter doesn't go over, when you can't get people involved in a Patreon and your website itself doesn't have a whole lot of traffic. uh, You can't be surprised by that because it's not impossible. You still could do it. Remember that the uh, a number one thing is do a good comic. If you do a good comic, that's amazing and decompressed. You can still pull this off. It might take you a little longer, but you can still do it. But what you can't do (laughs) is be surprised that this thing isn't getting traction because a lot of the choices that you're consciously making are making it harder for you to build an audience the way we build audience today. Right. And so I think I I have nothing really to add to that point. That was a perfect summation of that. But I will add Brad's own advice on here uh, to to the topping, which is uh, try even with decompressed storytelling, try to make every update a satisfying update on some level. Yeah. Is it is it a beautiful drawing to look at? Is it emotionally a big arc for the character in that moment, right? That page gives you a twist or a turn. Is it a punch that that was a, a dramatic moment? Is it a comedic twist that, that makes you laugh at the end of that page? If every page has a satisfying uh, update, um, then even if it's very decompressed storytelling, which I think is still possible, you can have an internal monologue, Brad, that every page ends in a joke or every page ends in a dramatic reveal or every page. What I'm getting at is there might be ways to do it where you still are decompressed, but every page is satisfying. It just gets, uh, it's a little harder, I think. But yeah, I don't want to pick apart what you said uh, too much, but I want to come back to this. You said, well, maybe it's a beautifully drawn page. A timeout. It's got to be more than that. <laughs> you can give me a beautifully drawn page of nothing happening and it still is nothing happening. It's got to, it's got to be more. We've got, it's got to be about the writing here. We've got to think about storytelling. Yeah. No, you're it not can't, wrong. It can't, it can't, what? I said, no, you're not wrong. You're not, oh, you're I, right. I should just say you're right. Sorry. I, I, the all double I heard negative was, was, no, you're wrong. And I'm like, no. oh, I pissed him off. <laughs> no, no, no. You're right. You're right. The writing no. is more important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't, you, you just, you can't, it can't be just a beautifully drawn page. Something's got to happen. And, and this might mean that you really like, I, 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 I don't know how many panels are on your page. Like, for example, if you're doing a, a three panel page, uh, that still gives you, you could do three pages in an Instagram update because you're limited to 10 uh, individual images on a on a carousel, right? So mm-hmm. you could uh, release three pages at a time uh, uh, for that. It's going to be harder to do on Twitter. And, uh, and unfortunately, uh, uh, you know how I think about Instagram. I don't think there's a lot of audience building to be done there. Uh, uh, there are, uh, what I'm trying to get at is there may be some ways that you uh, uh, release several pages at a time. Uh, mm-hmm. So you can get more of a bang for your buck in terms of storytelling if this is slower. But uh, but honest to goodness, I, I think you do have to consider at least uh, uh, this fact that uh, you, you might need to kind of step up the pace a little bit. Uh, uh, and and if not, then follow your dream, follow the way you want to do this. Yeah. Uh, and and, you know, it, who knows, maybe prove us wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, exactly. If, if this is the way, by the way, this is always the this is always the default for any time Brad and I give an answer. If you are finding joy and passion and yeah. a reward by telling a story differently than how Brad and I describe it, then yep. follow your heart by all means. You know, like art should not be some punishment that you got to follow what Dave and Brad say to do. It's right. it's 
so if this is bringing you joy to do it that way, then by all means do it. I, I think what I was trying to say is one of the reasons why an Arthur Conan Doyle Sherlock Holmes story really works as a full holistic story yeah. is because he made sure each one of those damn updates in the in the in the press was a really good standalone read. And so yeah. that actually makes the overall story better because there were a lot of twists and turns and exciting moments for Sherlock or Watson or whatever the hell was going on in those episodic updates, which we can immediately translate into web comics. If yeah. all your updates are interesting, clever, have a twist, have dramatic moments, have comedic moments, have satisfying endings, then your overall story is gonna have that. Yes. And and yes, you might be creating more of a comic of the mind, you know, a comic of the interior of thoughts. And yeah. But I'll be honest, that's, uh, that's just for me, not what I turn to in comics, but there is an audience for that, absolutely. There's a lot of people in, in like Fantagraphics kind of world that produce those kind of comics. They're not yeah. for me, but if yeah. that brings you joy, then by all means chase that dragon yeah although yes i agree a hundred percent it's not what with david and i you're always going to see us trying to release something that when you come to the end it's very satisfying right. having said that we've come to the end of this podcast and i'm very satisfied to tell you that you've been listening to comic lab the show about making comics and making a living from comics oh my goodness your hosts have been just the silky smooth <laughs> Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And my good friend, Dave Kellett, the co-director of the comics documentary Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at sheldoncomics.com and Drive at drivecomic.com. Uh, I have to say, Brad, whenever you have a transition that's that smooth, I always think about the fact that my ophthalmologist, when I first started doing contacts, and I had that common fear of like, I couldn't get my finger in oh, near yeah. or on my eye to get the contact in. He said, don't worry about it. Uh, Olga's gonna help you. And Olga was this kind old Russian nurse that took me by the hand. She's like, I'm going to teach you how to put the contact in your eye. And it was like 20 <laughs> minutes of Svetlana guiding me. And that's how I feel whenever you have this transition. It's like, I'm in safe hands. Yeah. I know that I'm gonna be treated well with Brad's transitions. <laughs> anyway, from, with that weird note, I'm gonna say the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode is edited by our pal, Matt Woodard of Woodstock Productions over at www.woodsong.media. If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and you may hear your review featured on a future episode. And Comic Lab is made possible by your support on patreon.com slash comic lab. So we'll go ahead and say that like Olga, the Russian nurse at my ophthalmologist, patreon.com slash don't poke yourself in the eye. That's a key part. That's a key part. Don't poke. Don't know with the fingernails. Yes, with the, the soft, fleshy part of your finger. Don't. You're, uh, listen, are, are you dumb? Don't do it that way. <laughs> your view's still poking. Stop poking. Stop poking. Stop poking. Are you right. trying to poke the bear? What are you doing? <laughs> Paul done made this moonshine down by the crick. <laughs> My dad says crick. Like if crick. you ask, if you ask him what town Kellogg's makes frosted flakes in, it's Battle Crick. You're kidding. Is that a Michigan thing or is he not from Michigan? He's from Michigan. Oh, he's definitely from Michigan. Battle uh, Crick, uh, Michigan. I mean, you Battle can't say crick. crick without getting a little Tennessee in there. Yeah, it's crick. It's a, and and I, I, I don't know where it comes from. Like all of the other EE. K words come out normal. Like he doesn't say, well, here it is. It's the middle of the wick.
it, it, it's everything else comes out normal, but Battle Crick, it, it, you cannot tell him. And when, when, of course, when we were teenagers, we were embarrassed. Dad, Dad, it's not Battle Crick. Say Battle Creek. And then, of course, he just said Crick all the more. Is it possible that your dad just has a vocal tick? <laughs> <laughs> is, is it possible that not only does he have a vocal tick, but it's genetic? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>